Hi, saints and listening people that are not quite in the faith yet and people that are somewhere in between. I haven't got to record in a long time. I haven't got to post anything in a long time. I, I've been working on a project that I think is about to get finished. And Anyway, I have had on my heart for quite a long time, and maybe you've thought about it, maybe you haven't. But in most churches, and this is not a criticism or a pointing of the finger or a blaming it, but it is an observation, and I don't know what the reason for it is, but in most all, virtually all, every church I've ever been in in my life, there has never been a conscious effort or intentional purposeful effort um, that I know of, nor have I seen the fruit of any effort, um, where people are are helped to to find out what their spiritual gifts are or what their gift is. Um, and this is important because when you go to church, you you get into the house of God, you hopefully come with your heart prepared to listen and receive instruction and spiritual knowledge of the Lord to grow in your relationship with Him, to grow and be more Christ-like so that you can live out that Christ-likeness in the world so you can be the salt and the light that you're called to be in a dark world. Um, and, and and we see the the worship people and the people that play in the band or whatever, not the band, but the, the, the worship team, whatever you want to call that. And we see the preachers and all those things are wonderful. And we might see an usher or somebody else like that. But for I, th I would venture to say most of us sit in the pews or the, or the chairs and we listen and we come to prepare and, and we greet one another and we talk and we hear the word and that helps us grow and, and it changes us more and more into the image of Christ and that's the goal and this is fantastic. However, however, and this is a big however, um, I don't know that, that, that there's a, a concentrated, purposeful, intentional effort by the leadership or anybody else in the church or by us as individuals to find out what our spiritual gift is or gifts are. And spiritual gifts are given for the building up of the church, um, for the edification of the church. And the great length uh, in First or Second Corinthians chapter twelve, I think it's First Corinthians twelve. It lists the spiritual gifts, and Paul goes on to say things like, you know, if everybody was just an ear or an eye, like the pastor or preacher or the worship team, for example, uh, where 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 would the sense of smelling be, or where would the sense of touch be or those kinds of things so there's a purpose to every for everyone and so if we all came together not just the eye or the mouth but but the nose and the ears and the elbows and the fingers and the toes and the feet and the knees and the joints and all the things on the inside that we don't see that represent parts of the body of Christ that make up the body there's not one individual or two or three there's a whole body even a whole congregation of people locally but throughout the world and so we're missing a great opportunity and I'm not even sure how, what that would look like when it played itself out because I've never seen it um, but it's got, but if that's the, the 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 purpose behind God and Holy Spirit apportioning gifts as he does and he's the one responsible for that then what more influence could we have or what more power could we have by God working through us, his vessels, with particular talents or gifts to build each other up? What more would the church look like? And I'm not saying that just for the sake of 
you know, outward appearances. I'm looking for what God is calling the church to be in, in effectual service to one another and to other people on the outside of the church or the people that come in to visit. You know, what would it look like? How could we function if we were the whole body? But as it is, we're not. We're... We're, we don't know what our gifts are. So there's got to be a way to figure that out. That's been on my mind for quite a long time. I finally, after years of walking in some of these things, know what, what mine is or mine are. Let's, let's start by reading, okay, in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. It's a little bit longer, but you have to get the context because without it, it seems strange. But there's a couple of verses on there that I'm, that I'm going to point out to you that are important. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, that's in Syria, so that if he found any belonging to the way, which is Christianity, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, the capital, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Now that's kind of blunt, okay. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, that's capital S, at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision from me a man named Ananias, that's you, come in and lay his hands on him. Okay, that's to be emphasized. Lay his hands on him. So that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles <coughs> excuse me, and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed, and then he entered the house. And here we go again. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose, and he was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So we look at three things. There's two instances of 
laying hands on him. And two, there was the purpose of being filled with the Spirit. Now in verse 6, Jesus tells Paul, you will be told what to do. And this, I take it, means once you have been forgiven and transformed into a new creation, what happened to Paul instantaneously by Jesus on the road to Damascus, he, meaning Jesus, will tell us what to do. He will reveal, eventually, your gift through what you are to do. Okay, Paul was touched by Jesus. He was told what he must do, and he was given a gift in order to do that. In verse 12, the Lord, as we just read, sends Ananias to come in and lay hands on Paul. Ananias was a believer, and in verse 17, Ananias laid hands on him and spoke truth over him, and the Holy Spirit filled him. So through the laying on of hands, by a believing man, one who has authority, and by the command of Jesus, the ultimate authority, Paul himself was receiving his commission, okay, and authority goes along with that too, through the Holy Spirit now indwelling in him. So he was now empowered and consecrated and anointed to go forth. So what was Paul's gift? Since that's what we're talking about and studying. In verse 15, Jesus says Paul has been chosen, or purposed, you might say, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So the word carry, if we look that up, okay, it's a word called bastazo in the Greek, and it means to preach the knowledge of Jesus' name to others. Isn't that what we are to do? All of us, okay? But in chapter 14, verse 15, in 1 Corinthians, uh, let me back up for just a second. Um, just for a second. As we said, we want to, it means to preach the knowledge of Jesus' name to others. For what purpose? For the purpose of salvation, okay? We would call this uh, preaching, uh, teaching, and evangelism. So Paul has the gifts now. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's been, he's had the hands laid on him to regain his sight and be filled with the Spirit. And as such, then he receives the gifts unknown to him yet to preach and teach and evangelize. Okay, and then later in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, Paul indicates that he has the gift of speaking in tongues. And in verse 22, he says, prophecy is a sign for believers. Why? To be built up spiritually, okay? It benefits the believers. He says he wants all to speak in tongues, but even more for people to prophesy. And verse 1 says, pursue love, and then earnestly desire, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. And that's in quotations, okay? That says, pursue love. Okay, number one thing. And because you're pursuing love, then it follows that I want you, Paul says, to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. In other words, seek them out. And especially 
whatever your gift is, especially that you may prophesy. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, a couple chapters earlier, verse 7 says something really important. It says, to each, it means each person in the body of Christ, to each is given the manifestation, that's an important word, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, speaking of spiritual gifts, okay, for the common good, for the building up of the church, the believers, the body of Christ. Now, this word manifestation means to disclose something or to bring something to the light or to express something or to bestow something. Okay, now, disclose is to make secret or new information known. Okay, so if you disclose something, you take something that wasn't previously known and you make it known. Okay, that was previously unknown or unseen is now known, understood, and visible. That's part of what it means to be, to make something manifest. Coming to the light <clears throat> is to become known also. Okay, what was previously hidden or in the dark is now open or seeable or knowable. To be expressed is to be made known again, meaning that it was before now unknown. And a bestowment or to bestow something on somebody is a presentation of a gift or an honor bestowed upon someone. Okay, so the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good is what spiritual gifts are about. And they all mean to disclose something that was previously unknown, to bring something to the light that was previously unknown or unseen because it was in the darkness, to express something that was previously unexpressed or unspoken or unknown, all the same thing, and to bestow something that you previously didn't have. Okay, and this is all from the Holy Spirit. So, prior to having the light of the Lord in us, salvation, we, you know this, are living in darkness. And we were living in darkness before we came to know God. And he bestowed his spirit on us. And he lives in us, transforming us by God's word. Our spiritual gift is not made known to us while we're in the dark because it's spiritual. It's not natural. And it can't and won't be disclosed or come to the light or be expressed or be bestowed on us like we talked about or made known and visible while we remain unsaved and in the darkness and dead in our sins. I hope that makes sense. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as I mentioned earlier, verses 8 through 10, they, lift, they list nine gifts these verses of the Holy Spirit. Okay? One is an utterance of wisdom or a spoken word of wisdom. Another one is an utterance of spiritual knowledge. Okay? Then there's faith. Then there's healing. And I don't mean to receive healing. I mean the gift of being able to heal others. There's working of miracles. There's prophecy, as we mentioned before. There's distinguishing or discerning between spirits. And what I mean by that is you can get good influence 
from God sending his messengers, the angels, to speak something to you or through someone else. But you can also get a whole lot of thoughts in your mind that are definitely from the evil one. Okay, so you've got to be able to distinguish between the two. Now, you might say, well, that's fairly easy. Well, it's not always. Satan is a craftsman at deception, and he's not going to reveal his battle tactics so easily. He's going to slither around and, and, and do things that are very subtle. And that, that is the way he is. Because if he makes his presence known so easily, then you're going to avoid him easily. You're going to avoid it. And, and he's not going to have his, his wished influence over you. But if he does it in a, in a disguised way or something that's not so noticeable, something that's subtle, okay, then he's going to be able to do whatever he wants in you. Because they, you might think and probably do that they're your own thoughts. So you've got to be able to distinguish, discern, which is a gift. Some have it. To an extent, that's not a gift, but it comes with knowing the word and growing in the Lord. But then some people have a discernment about them, and they can pick out those things readily. And this is what we're talking about. And then another gift is to speak in tongues, different kinds of tongues. And then another one, necessarily so, is the interpretation of tongues. Okay, now verse 11 says something very important. We said earlier that, there, that, that the Holy Spirit was the one who apportions them or, or, or who makes them manifest for the common good. Verse 11 says, all these, all these gifts we just mentioned, are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions, which means to give or to meet something out or to dole it out or to divide it, okay, to each one individually as he wills. So it's the Holy Spirit who is the one that is responsible for apportioning, according to his own will, which is perfect, gifts from himself to believers. And then he also empowers you to walk in these things, to use them, to live them out, again, for the common good. So we said it is it is the Spirit. Let me say this one more time. It's the Spirit who confers or bestows the spiritual gifts. So we need to ask Him, okay, that makes sense, to reveal to us what gift He's given us or what gifts, plural, that He's given us if we are in the light, true Christians. Because if we're not, we're in darkness. We mentioned that before. And he's not going to apportion anything. He's not going to disclose anything. He's not going to make a manifest to someone that's in darkness. Okay, He has or will apportion and make manifest to us and in us to build up the church, the ecclesia, as we mentioned before. Now, I've got an observation that I'll share with you real quick. Like I said before at the beginning, okay, virtually, well, let me change that. Let me not repeat myself. Let me say this. Virtually immediately after I was saved, about 22 and a half years ago, the Lord gave me a command, not my own desire, trust me, because I don't didn't know how to do this. The Lord gave me a command to write a book. I remember thinking to myself, really? A book, Lord? Me? On what subject? And it turned out it was a simple, straightforward book. It was only about 75 pages or so about the basics or the principles or the foundations of the faith. 
It was a great book, very powerful for new believers, and that wouldn't hurt old believers to, or mature believers to look at it either. <clears throat> but it was about the genuine Christian life and what are the basics of the faith, what are the things, the elemental things you need to learn before you get into meat, meat and potatoes. These were milk items, as Paul would, would talk about. But they're very important. Um, and it was from to lead me into an understanding of my gift, but it was also to 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 spread the faith and to to, to teach others about something that I had virtually no knowledge of. I was a new believer, and of course I got this from God, from the book, the Bible. Now, when I was younger, like in high school and in my early twenties, I guess I used to sometimes write poems or lyrics to music because I'm not musically inclined but I can write okay that was long before I was saved I did this just to express myself as I look back I see this propensity to write and but is writing listed as a spiritual gift is writing the gift given to a scribe such as Baruch, who was Jeremiah's aide. It's not listed as one of the ones we just read, but writing is a means of communication, is it not? So could it be, I'm just reasoning, could it be that it is connected to the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of spiritual knowledge, and prophecy? Now, utterance, if you look it up in the Greek, is the word logos, okay? And it means the word, okay? It's embodying an idea, it's speech, it's a statement, it's disclosure, as we talked about earlier. It's a form of communication. It's the word, okay? It's not a word like in English. It's the word of God. So it's a special logos. But to have the logos to have the utterance of wisdom you have a word of wisdom you have a an a, the ability to speak it you have the utterance of the ability to speak or the word of spiritual knowledge that you wouldn't normally have and others may not have and you have a gift of prophecy which is again a way of communicating and when i say prophecy for me it's not like i'm going to tell you what's going to happen tomorrow you know um because I don't know that, and the Lord doesn't usually tell me things like that. But what I mean by prophecy is being able to take his word and speak it forth to people. Um, as if I was preaching, or have, having some special knowledge, maybe sometimes that other people don't have. Um, it's not a prideful thing. That's something that God has given me, and I've learned it, and it's taken a long time. Originally, I thought I was supposed to be a pastor, but I learned that that's not the case, but now I know what I'm supposed to do. And so this podcast is one of the reasons I'm uttering the wisdom that God gives me when I seek him. He, I'm uttering the knowledge, the spiritual knowledge that God gives me that we don't have all the time without the spiritual revelation. I don't, and I prophesy, I speak it forth, you know, God gives it to me and I share it with you, you know, and so this is part of my spiritual gifting, okay, that, that's how I learned it, but I look back and I can see uh, the ability to do that in a, in a worldly way, but the ability to write or communicate. So as we said, could it, could it be communicated? This means of communication, the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge, prophecy, three of the nine gifts. Okay, I believe so. 
because speaking and writing, and even I think sign language, are all ways of communicating. So the Lord showed me in the past that an idea or a thought or an utterance, the word, is the same whether it's spoken or written in a letter or emailed or voicemailed or texted or whatever. It's still the word. I can say, how are you doing today? I hope you have a great day. Talk to you later. I can say that. I can write it on paper. I can text it. I can leave you a voicemail. I can email you. I can do all those things. They're all the same thing. They're, but it doesn't matter if it's spoken or if it's written down on paper. They're the same words. The utterance is the same. The form of utterance is different, but it's the same. And the Lord showed me that. If we look at John 10, 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. Like I said, we can read the word on a page, we can hear the word in our spirits, and we can hear them spoken. And when we're sure it's of God, and the Spirit will bear witness with the word, the Bible, and the word spoken to us, they're one and the same, then we can give utterance to it in wisdom, in knowledge, and in prophecy. Now, to this day, the Lord had me to write a blog for about eight years. Now he has turned the writing by my request, and he honored that. Thank you, Lord. He had me to write a blog, and then he let me turn it into speaking in the form of a podcast. But it's the same word, whether I wrote it on paper and put it in a blog, or whether I take the notes and I, what God tells me. And everything he has, has me to understand that I didn't previously know or didn't know it the right way. Then I can speak that same word instead of writing it. Instead of having a blog, I can do a podcast. And it's still the utterance of wisdom. It's still the utterance of spiritual knowledge. It's still the utterance of prophecy. So like I said, I share with others what the Lord reveals to me graciously. So I see and believe that he has given me the related gifts of one, utterance of wisdom, two, utterance of knowledge, and three, prophecy. And these gifts continue as he's granted me to have a website made recently. It's not gone live yet. That was the thing I've been a little preoccupied with lately. In order to continue to propagate the logos, the word, okay? It's still another way of doing the same thing. Okay, his word, to get it to go out, it's another way of getting out the word. Because it changes lives, it transforms hearts. It leads people to getting saved and forgiven of their sins and to be able to spend eternity with God in heaven. Praise God that he's allowed me to do this and he's the one that, that started it all. He made the ability to happen. He gave me the resources to do it. So I'm just trying to do what he empowers me to do. We said the Holy Spirit empowers us to do it. So it's not me. It's just he's given me the means and the idea. And, and I'm trying to walk in that. And I want you to do the same. And that's why we got to figure out what our spiritual gifts are. So they don't lie dormant and unused. Um, so I want to continue to propagate 
the word, the logos, okay, to to train and prepare the younger generation of saints and also the newer wave of believers, no matter what age they are, that he is raising up. To me, this is confirmation. Did I know this upon my salvation? No. Did I even know to seek it out? No. I was a spiritual child. Remember, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So, did I know those things when I was a young believer? No. But at a certain point, I have to put away those those things that I didn't know. And I can't blame it on ignorance anymore. I'm a grown man. I have to put away childish ways. And I have to start taking responsibility and seek it out to find out what it is. So now, if I'm to serve the Lord and be used by Him, and you too, I need to know and use the gift or gifts that he's given me or will give me. And so do you. And that's why we're talking about this. The Spirit of God is the giver and the apportioner of these gifts. We said that earlier. I want to mention it again. So it's only appropriate to ask and seek him as to what our spiritual gifts might be. Remember, this is not pride, okay? is to serve others and to edify the church. And if your motive, known to you or unknown, because Jeremiah said our hearts can be very deceitful, it's not right. And I'm certain you'll be asking for the gift in vain, and he won't answer you as long as your heart remains wrong, your motive remains wrong. So we have to seek diligently. We have to take time. Trust me. We need to listen in silence. And that takes patience, but it's got to be developed in his way and in his time, which is always perfect. He will make it known to you. God doesn't give you a gift and then never tell you what it is. That makes no sense. And okay, even to humans, that doesn't make any sense. God is not like that at all. He will make it known to you. And he might take time to prepare you and mature you first okay because like if you don't know how to ride a bike yet he's not going to just give you a 10 speed if you're a four-year-old right you gotta have training wheels and a small bike and you gotta learn how to ride it and get really good at it then maybe you'll get something better you can take care of okay so if you don't get even if you're seeking earnestly and you want to serve him and you don't get the answer right away. First of all, patience has a lot to play in this. And, you, and, you, and listening is utterly important. Remember, Elijah was in the cave. And God said, wind went by, a strong wind. But God wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. But he was in the silent, small, thin whisper. So we have to listen. We have to take time. We have to seek him diligently. And if you still don't get it, or get an inkling of what it might be, then remember, you he might be preparing you before he can give it to you or let you operate it. He might be maturing you as a believer first. So don't give up. But you have to be not only willing, which we usually are, otherwise we wouldn't get to the point of seeking, but we've also got to be able. And that's a different story. Okay, We can be willing all day long, but we might not be able yet to do it.
And the Lord has brought to my attention very recently and personally the very biblical theme of smelting. But as it pertains to his sons and daughters, his smelting is heating up and liquefying an element like gold or silver so you can get rid of the impurities. Okay, But he's talking about doing it not to silver or gold, but to us, his sons and daughters. Now, this word to me is amazing. And God brought it to me. I'm sure I've read it before. But this is great. It's Proverbs 25.4. Write it down or memorize it, okay? Proverbs 25.4. It says, Take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. Let me say that again. Take away the dross from the silver, then the smith will have material fit to make a vessel out of. Now, this illustrates the process that must take place in the lives of true Christians. Smelting is extracting metal, like gold, silver, iron, or bronze, from the ore, the raw material, involving heating and melting, and usually heating multiple times. We are the metal, brothers and sisters, which the Lord pulls out of the world. Okay, We're the raw material that he pulls out of the earth, and inside that raw material is stuff that's useful, but it's got impurities. He then purifies us by allowing trials and afflictions and tribulations and even persecutions of one kind or another to heat up our lives so that the dross or the impurities, the flesh, okay, can be skimmed off the top. Just as a smith heats up the metal again and again to liquefy it and refine it by pulling out the impurities each time to ultimately be left with a pure product. So God does similarly in the lives of his sons and daughters. Yes, he does. This is the lifelong process of what we call sanctification. It makes us more and more Christ-like. And that's the goal. That just as the proverb said to us that this process yields material for a vessel, which is great, the smelting must take place in us so that the Lord, the smith, will be left with us a pure material, being able now to be fit to be made into a vessel to be used by him. And then this, on top of that, is where the gift comes in. So the gifts of the Spirit are then available to be used in the life of a purified, smelted believer. If we don't know what our gift is, we either haven't asked, we haven't diligently sought, or we have not yet had enough dross removed from our lives so as to be a pure enough material for the smith to make us into the vessel, we need to be made by him and then used by him. Does that make sense? Let me say it this way. If I had a young child, which I don't have sons or daughters, but if I had a young child and I considered sending him to a nearby store to buy something for us to use or to eat at the house, and I wasn't yet sure because of his age if I could trust him to purchase it and bring back the proper change to me, I wouldn't send him or her. I would have to send an older child or go myself. Now, why wouldn't I trust him? Well, 
maybe he doesn't yet know how to do the necessary math to make sure he gets the right change. Or maybe the store clerk wasn't honest and saw an opportunity through his youth to only give a portion of the change back to him. Maybe I knew my child would be tempted to purchase a few little pieces of candy for himself, figuring the small added cost and the lesser amount of change returned to me would go unnoticed. I wouldn't be able to trust him with the money or the spiritual gift, okay, until I was sure that his character had been purified and refined enough to handle it, to handle the responsibility, to handle the requests. To handle the work to be done. Now there'll come a time I know when I'll be able to entrust him to do it, but that opportunity will have to wait because he's not there yet. Some dross remains in him. So long as it does, the apportioned gift by the Holy Spirit remains unrevealed and unused. I hope you can see that parallel. So let me make a few points. The world is the earth that contains the raw material. Okay, it contains the rock or the ore where the metal is inside. We don't care about the rock itself. We care about the metal that it contains. Now, God has mined us out of the earth. It says we're not of the we're not in the world. We're in the world, but not of it. Okay, it says God has chosen us out of the world. Okay, so we can look at ourselves as we can look at the world as the earth, and the rock as the raw material, and it contains the metal, and we're the raw material. Okay, but we want just metal, so we have to get rid of the dross, the impurities. John fifteen nineteen says, if you were of the world, Jesus says, but because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Okay, just like we're... Someone mines the raw product out of the earth. He chose us out of the world. And First Peter 2.9 That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, He extracted us. He mined us out of the earth, out of the world. He extracted the, 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 the bad elements out and he left with the pure product. And that's us. If we're Christian, if we're true Christians, we've got to then be purified, refined, and smelted repeatedly in order that the dross or the impurities of the flesh can rise to the surface of the liquefied metal, like we talked about, and be skimmed off the top. Malachi 3, 2 and 3 says this, For he, speaking of God, is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Fuller is soap is used to purify, like a bleach is used to... I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction, like we talked about. So when th our lives get heated up, those are the times that we should actually let the Lord do his work, even though we, hate, we don't like it. And we pray it away lots of times. We don't embrace it. And James says we should embrace it. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet or come across or have to endure trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, the heating up process, 
produces steadfastness. And then it says, let or allow that steadfastness to have its full effect. It means don't just heat it up and let the gold liquefy and skim a little bit of the dross off. Get it all out, okay? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, left with a pure product that the smith can use, a pure material for his vessel. And we've got to be the pure material get out, you know, before we're going to get the spiritual gift. Now that you're being refined and purified, God the great smith now has material with which to make a vessel fit for his use. Understand? 2 Timothy 2.21 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, meaning, meaning allows himself to be cleansed by the Lord, from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful, to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And 1 Peter 4, verses 1 and 2, Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, not if he did, but since he did, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for, whatever, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So that means, if you have suffered in the flesh it will eventually bring about a pure product where you get rid of the flesh and you don't sin so as to live in your body for the rest of the time in the flesh not the flesh like the bad thing but the flesh meaning the body as opposed to the spirit no longer for human passions but for the will of god first peter 2:10 as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, that's about the halfway point. This is a long one, but it's got a lot of good information. So I'm going to stop here and post it as part one. Okay? God bless you. I'll be with you in a minute.